0: has titled his message today, Persevere Until the Great Day, and we'll read uh, the first 25 verses of Hebrews chapter 10. The Word of God, where it says, the law is only only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not their realities themselves. For For this reason it can never, by the same sacrifice repeated endlessly year after year, Make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, who would they not have stopped being offered? What would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. First he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. Then he said, Here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second, and by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, This is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who is promised is faithful and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching.
1: Thanks, Ben, for uh, reading that and bringing us to this point in the service. Um, Ben read that whole chapter, more or less, but we'll we'll focus mainly on the the last six, seven verses, that's from verse 19 on, uh, where we find a lot of practical encouragements, but we'll come to that. Friends, there are moments in life that you feel is this really happening. For instance, my wedding day was such a surreal moment. After having been engaged for almost five years, remember, I was a student, I I felt, is it really true that from now on this beautiful girl is my wife? Another one of such uh, moments was when I took my family in a plane to South Africa to live in a place where we had never been, where we knew no one, and we had no idea what to expect, and I remember saying to my wife on the plane, "Are we really doing this? I think I will only feel at ease again when we have done it and have the whole family safely back on the play home on the plane home Now today is another such a moment I, I still can 't believe it 's happening i 'm retiring from being a full time a pastor after some 33 years. What's next? People ask that. And I don't know. Only God knows. So true, isn't it? God knows. And he'll show it. And we'll trust in that. Anyway, let's, let's try to come to terms with what seems to be an inescapable reality. I'm saying farewell to you as your pastor. And this is my last opportunity to speak to you as your pastor. So what I'm going to make for a final message. Will I try to impress you with a top sermon so that you remember me as a great, as a great preacher and say, the insights Fred shared with us were just marvelous. I'll never forget that. Friends, let me tell you, to show off preaching skills, if I have any, is the last thing on my mind. For such a memory of me is no benefit to you at all if you have not understood what I really tried to achieve with my preaching here, week after week. And that is, what I try to achieve is that all of you would have confidence to meet the Lord Jesus Christ when he returns to this world. One day, the day, it's called in our text. The trumpet will sound and Jesus will be there. Are we all ready to meet him? And what's more, do we already look forward to the day? Or are we so tied up with what we have here and what we do here that we like to postpone the day? Do you have full confidence that on that day when Jesus Christ will finally separate the shape from the goats, that you will be counted, counted among the shape and be sent off for eternal life on a new and restored earth. Now, the ultimate test for every preacher, I believe, is this. Did his preaching really place people for the decisive question are you ready to meet the God who created you? And are you sure that you will be welcomed by him as one of his own? And the preacher shouldn't only ask that question. He also has to show the answer, how you gather. And the answer is very simply, it's only by faith, by trust in Jesus Christ, the Savior, that you can be called a child of a father in heaven so friends given what's at stake eternal life or eternal damnation I urge you for the last time to make the choice to embrace and to receive Jesus Christ as your saviour and after you've done that just persevere in that faith let nothing distract you or discourage you keep going until the last day, when this world will change forever. So that's my message for today. Persevere until the last day. Now in our text for today, we find a whole heap of practical encouragement. That's, it starts in verse 22. If you have your Bible with you, verse 22. That's the first one. Let's draw near to God. Next 1st let's hold on to the hope we profess. Let's consider how we may spur on one another to good deeds and love. Let's not give up meeting together. Let's encourage one another. So five times, let us do this. So this is certainly practical instruction about how to live the Christian life. And i love to pass it on as my final message to you. Let's not do this But rather, let's do that. Show that you are a Christian indeed. And yet, be careful that you don't read it in the wrong way. For these practical instructions should never be read on their own. As if we can just do these things and then assume that will make us Christians. Sure, Christians do certain things. They go to church, they sing Christian songs, they pray, they know the difference between right and wrong and try to apply that in their life. They, they love their neighbor, etc. That's all good and important. But never think that doing those things will make you a Christian. For being a Christian is only and exclusively Decided upon whether you personally believe and trust in Jesus Christ as your only Saviour. It's about your relationship with Him and through Him with God the Father. And if you have no relationship with Him in this life on earth, you won't have one in heaven either. Well, it's because of that that the Bible spends a lot of time on what you need to understand and to believe in order to be saved for eternity. And that's a crucial truth to grasp. You first have to become a believer in Jesus. And only then you can begin the Christian life. And, and if you try to turn that around, you may do many Christian things, but it will Ultimately, not benefit you one little bit. You're still lost. You're still spiritually dead. And it's for that, that very reason that these five let us encouragements are preceded by two foundational statements. Verse 19. Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place. That's statement one. And the second is since we have a great priest. That's my greatest desire, friends, that all of you would get that. Having confidence to meet a holy God, knowing that you have this great priest as your personal mediator. Now let's have a, a closer look. Here's another letters. Let's have a closer look. That's, that's one of my own making. We read verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain that is his body. Now let's stop here for a moment. I can imagine that if you're not rather familiar with the Bible this whole sentence sounds like abracadabra. It's it's very hard to make any sense of it. And that's the reason why we started our scripture reading in verse 1 of this chapter. So what the author is doing, actually in this whole book, is comparing the Old Testament way of relating to a holy God to the way we are to do it now. It's about 1,500 years before Christ, yeah? three and a half thousand years ago, that God made a covenant with the people of Israel. After he had liberated them from Egypt, where they had been held in slavery, he taught them how they could live with the Holy God. Now the people of Israel, being people of flesh and blood like you and me, were sinful people they could not come near to a holy God and survive. And for that reason, God instructed Moses to set up a ceremonial system in which two things were constantly pointed out. On the one hand, that's one, God's absolute holiness. And on the other hand, man's total sinfulness. That was a problem, of course. And in order to live together as a holy God and a sinful people, the Old, um, old Testament Israelites, they, they had to bring all kind of sacrifices. Bulls and goats and sheep and doves. And God had promised, if you do that faithfully, if you take my command seriously I will not hold your sins against you I will not destroy you but rather look after you for all your needs that was a, that was a great arrangement wasn't it Israel had been blessed above all other nations with their relationship with God and yet it had a major flaw and in the verse 3 and 4 of this chapter we find a, a rather sad conclusion But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Now fancy that. The whole Old Testament way of serving God that Israel had been busy with for hundreds of years, where millions of animals have been sacrificed year after year, is summed up as... It was merely a reminder of the reality and seriousness of sin. But they failed to solve the problem of sin. The worshipper, the one who brought the sacrifice, even after he had sacrificed his best and most precious boo, he still felt guilty in his conscience that he had offended God. And not even the most precious sacrifice he offered could change that. And why could it not change that? Well, the answer is already given in the Old Testament. And it's quoted here from Psalm 40. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. Saying, is God really interested in animal sacrifice? Does he want to see animal blood to satisfy his anger about human sin? Of course not. God is interested in a pure heart. Since he is a God of love and relationship, he longs for the love of people who serve him, for whom he is, with a sincere heart. And that was a problem that could not really be solved by the Old Testament ceremonies. Guilt and sin remained in the heart of the worshipper no matter how serious he went about his sacrifices and his life. What God really wanted to see was a human being totally dedicated to him. Someone who would be perfectly obedient and do God's will in everything. And the problem was there was no one in the whole world around who was able to do that, to give that full obedience and dedication to a God in heaven. For every person born from a sinful father and mother inherits their sinful nature. It is impossible indeed to take away sins by way of animal sacrifices. That's the verdict. And therefore the bad news of the whole Old Testament is this. It is impossible for sinful human beings to have a close relationship with a holy God. You had to keep your distance. And now friends, here comes the good news. What is impossible with people is possible with God. It was inconceivable for a human mind to think up a solution. For this problem of sin. And yet it was not impossible to God. So he brought a solution. And what he did? He sent his own son. His beloved son from heaven to earth. To become a human being. To become Jesus of Nazareth. Born in a stable in Bethlehem. To bring God's ultimate and exclusive and final solution for human sin. Jesus came down to do God's will. He was fully obedient to God every day of his life. And when God showed him that in that process he even had to die to make atonement for the sins of people that he himself had nothing to do with with their sin, then Jesus bowed his head and said, Father, your will be done. And so Jesus was nailed to a cross, bringing the ultimate sacrifice of obedience to God's will. He was the last priest to reconcile people with the Holy God, and with His sacrifice, God was totally satisfied. And then He sent preachers to proclaim to all people who who that that whoever claims the benefit of Jesus' death by placing their faith in him and committing themselves to follow him as their Lord, they all will receive full forgiveness of their sins. And they will receive the power to overcome their sins and become new creations, new people. And with regards to their sins, they will never be brought up again. For Jesus had dealt with them once and forever on the cross that is the glorious gospel friends that I was allowed to preach to you for so many years and there's one thing more that you need to understand if you think that this story is only something to accept as truth with your head but not as something that you can experience with your heart listen to the following God made a promise and shared through the Holy Spirit, by speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, 650 before Christ, that he one day would make a new covenant completely based on what Jesus would do on Calvary's cross. And in this new covenant, he would achieve two things. One, every true believer in Jesus Christ would experience in his heart that his sins are forgiven indeed. Unlike under the old covenant, in the new covenant, his guilty conscience would be completely cleansed so that he knows for sure deep inside that he is forever right with God only through the blood of Jesus. His sins are forgiven, forgotten forever. It's God's unchangeable choice to wipe them out and forget them. So that's one. The second element, where the the New Testament is greater than the old is this. Every true believer in Jesus Christ will receive the Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, who will come to live in him. And then from inside out, the Holy Spirit will guide him and motivate him to become a willing servant of Jesus forever. And the Spirit not only cleanses his conscience from the sins of guilt, but also enables him to bury his pride, to give away his anger, to control his lust, to free him from greed, etc. And that's the, great, the second great blessing of the New Covenant. You don't have to read God's law on paper anymore, like in the Old Testament, and then try to do in your own strength to make the most of them. Now, from the moment that you are truly converted by the power of God, the law of God is written on your heart so that you become keen to do what is right. You want to follow Jesus. And you want to become like him. It's the Holy Spirit working that in you. And sometimes when you go wrong, you will feel so bad that you are quick to repent and have your relationship with God restored. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Now let's, let's now return to the abracadabra of verse 19 after this, this long story. So, after, after this, I hope it will begin to make some sense now. Therefore, so that's how verse 19 begins. Therefore, so here comes the conclusion of all that has gone before. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Now, the, the most holy place is that part of the Old Testament tabernacle and later on the temple where God was present with his glory. You could only see a cloud there that said, yes, God is there. But nobody was allowed to enter in that most holy place. Not even a high priest. A thick curtain hid God's symbolical dwelling place from human eye. No eyes, no access. Stay out of here. Keep your distance from a holy God. That's how it was under the old covenant. God is too holy to approach. But listen to how it is now. We have confidence to enter the most holy place. And that applies to every single believer. Not because we are so good or so obedient. No, our confidence is totally based on our faith that Jesus has shed his blood to pay for our sins and to give us access to God. He opened a new way to God the Father. He himself is that way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the living one who grants you that access to his Father. So the curtain that used to close off the most holy place has been removed for us. And once again, it's not because we finally begin to do the right thing, but only because we have a priest, a permanent priest who makes sure that we are reconciled with God. Now this confidence only comes to us by faith in Jesus Christ. And the moment we look at ourselves to find a right to enter, we lose our confidence. It's not our good works. Neither our sins which decide on our permission to approach God. It's only the fully accomplished work of Jesus. Now having established these facts, now we can quickly work through the five admonitions. Verse 22. This being the case. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. So that's a big difference, isn't it? In the Old Testament it Keep your distance. Stay away. No access. Now, draw near to God. If you have faith in Jesus, you don't have to worry whether you are good enough. No, you have full assurance of faith for your certainty is not in yourself.
0: It's outside you,
1: in Jesus. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Now remember the animal sacrifices could never achieve that our conscience was cleansed. And yet we do experience the cleansing of our conscience. We are free in our conscience. since once confessed to the Lord and dealt with among people don't have to bother us anymore. We don't have to accept any accusation for them anymore. We are free having our bodies washed with pure water. There's a reference, I think, to, to Christian baptism, which speaks about us being washed from our sins to become clean. So let's, let's draw near to God. Let's draw near to God. Let's the encouragement. Now, friends, you know what? If I feel bad, about something that I've done. A a little lie to get me out of an uncomfortable situation. Or having watched something on TV or on my computer that attacks my purity. My inclination is to stay away from God. I I want to solve that problem first or I don't want to think about it or to talk about it. I try to remove myself a bit from God's holiness. Which is a stupid thing to do, of course, as if he has not seen me or heard me or knows what's going on in my mind. Even in such a situation that your conscience speaks up, the invitation stands, draw near to God and the Holy Spirit will tell you what to say and what to do and do you know what he says repent and return and once again commit yourself to Jesus look at him draw near to God with a sincere heart it's wonderful that that God restores even the sincerity and the purity of hearts, of our heart, when we have mucked it up. Verse 23. Let's hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promises is faithful. Now that's the second admonition. Let's hold on to the hope we profess. Now to understand this, we have to realize that in the Bible, hope, the word hope, stands for something that you are sure about, but that you cannot see yet. Now that's rather different from how we often use the word hope. We, we use it to, to express uncertainty. I hope so. I hope it will be good weather today or for Christmas. We are uncertain. But as I said in the Bible, hope is a certainty which you experience in your heart. For instance, if we bury someone, who died. We do that in the hope of the resurrection. And that doesn't mean it's we hope, we're not sure, but we hope one day he'll be raised again. No. We bury this person and we are sure that one day he'll be raised again. But at this stage, at this moment, we cannot see that, of course. What we see is a body that will decay in no time. the hope of the resurrection. But let's let's hold on unswervingly to the hope we profess. We know for sure that one day this world will come to an end. And we know too that after that the earth will be restored to its original glory. And all those who have found Jesus and who have placed That trust in Jesus will be given access to the new earth. That's our hope. It's our certainty. Hold on to it. Trust that God will fulfill his promise indeed. For he is faithful, we are reminded. And We have our struggles and our uncertainties, our doubts sometimes. Sometimes you wonder whether you will ever be able to make it to the end. But hold on. God is faithful. And he will never break one of his promises. He just can't do it. Because breaking promises would be totally against his character. And he has given you this hope. And he will maintain that hope in you. Just trust. Now as we move on to the final admirations, we also hear that being a Christian is not something that you can do on your own. Though becoming a Christian requires a personal choice. You do that on your own, yeah? It's initially just between you and God only. You have to talk to him, you have to pray to him, you have to ask access into his kingdom. It's between you and him. But once you have become a believer, you have become one of God's own. He places you in a community of fellow believers. So, let's consider how we may spur on one another toward love and good deeds. That's why we are given to each other. We spur each other on towards love and good deeds. That's something that you can only do in a community. A Christian who thinks that he can be a Christian on his own without committing himself to a community of believers has not really understood what the gospel is all about. For it's in a community of real people with all its highs and lows. Let's let's be sure about that. It's within a community of real people that you can grow. If you place yourself outside of the community or remain in the fringe You can't grow because then you cannot practice love and forgiveness and kindness and gentleness and patience with each other. And without practice, there's no growth. As simple as that. And that's underlined by the final admonition. Let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. See, it's not new that people easily become slack in their commitment to meet their brothers and sisters in worship services and growth groups and other meetings. See, sometimes people have such great expectations of other people that they pull back as soon as something in church or someone in church disappoints them. And then it's so easy to justify yourself. And it feels so right. And it is so wrong. Everywhere in life, perhaps especially in church, God places deliberately challenges before you in order to help you grow so that you can learn to behave as a Christian in the midst of reality of sin and shortcomings in people. Now don't think that a pastor is above all that. I've been in many situations that I was about to give up. That I thought, I haven't, made, I haven't made myself available as a pastor to be regularly abused or mistreated or ignored or not taken seriously. Would have been easier to stay an accountant, I sometimes thought. I've been mean, through stages where I really wondered, why in the world am I doing this? Life without ministry to people seems to be much easier. You know, you know that, that old saying. It goes something like this. To live with God's saints in heaven will be glory. But to put up with them on earth is quite another story. Remember that one? I felt sometimes that way. But then I looked at Jesus and what he went through for the gospel's sake. And then I reminded myself, if you consistently follow him, things will be right in the end. And it appeared to be fully true. So in hindsight, the ministry of the word of God has given me much greater blessings than I ever expected or imagined. So let me encourage you. And let's encourage one another. Because that's what our text is saying. Keep on going in the faith. Persevere. Because the day is approaching. So even when I'm moving on, and won't be your pastor anymore, one thing does not change, and hope will never change in this church. This church is about the gospel. And this church is about salvation through Jesus Christ. This church is about believing in the reality and the power of the Holy Spirit guiding us towards the future, helping us to become the new creations that God wants us to be. It's not about me. It's not about you in church. It's about Him, Jesus Christ. And therefore, it's about us too. His love guarantees that all His promises of which we have experienced only the beginning, will be completely fulfilled. For He is faithful. And I can't wait for it. Let's pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, what a privileged lot we are, that You have made sure that we heard and came to understand the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ alone. That it not remained a theory to us, but that we experienced in our hearts that our guilty conscience was cleansed and we became free people, having our our hands and hearts and heads free to love one another, to do good deeds, to reach out in Christian love to those outside, to speak with joy about the great salvation we have in Jesus. Lord, thank you for your word and thank you that we could hear it today once again. Lord, I pray that your word will have an impact on all of us, whether we have heard it for the first time or for the umptiest time. Help us to remind that life without Jesus is not worth living in the end. So, Lord, help us all to find Jesus and to receive a relationship with him so that we may experience the great blessing that you have in mind for all those who entrust their life to Jesus. Lord, thank you again for this wonderful gospel. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.